All right. So thank you, Jesse. I appreciate it. Uh, so the last several Sundays, the last five Sundays, let me read off to you the titles of the messages for the last five Sundays. Starting in the last Sunday of 2019, it was your commitment to God in 2020. All right, see if you see a common theme over the titles here. That was number one. Number two, are you a church goer or are you a church builder? That was number two. Number three, how to be a devoted disciple of Jesus. Number four, your attention span is very valuable. And what we talked about there is if you're devoted to God, you're going to be able to pay attention to him. If you're not devoted to God, it's going to be very hard and you're going to be very distracted. And I challenge every person that says, and this is all of us, <laughs> I'm just, I get distracted from God. I'm sure if I asked you to raise your hand, every single person here would, if honest, would raise our hands. I struggle with distraction. And I'll tell you, the reason why we're distracted, the reason why we can't keep our attention on God is for the last, um, last Sunday's message, your love drives your life. There's something that you love that's taking your attention away from God. And you need to figure out what that is with God's help and repent of it. Just flat out repent of it. It's an idol, and the idol is not so much the problem. It's the love for the idol that's the problem. As soon as you quit loving your idol, the idol's gone. All right? So how do you quit loving that which you love so much? You repent of it. And true repentance brings joy. It doesn't bring sadness. True repentance brings an abundance of joy and peace. And so I challenge you, figure out what's stealing your attention from the Lord and repent of it, and God's going to come in and fill that big old gaping hole that you of that love. He took a rock out of your soul. He threw it out. He's going to fill it with love for the Lord, and perfect love casts out all fear. As soon as you have replaced your imperfect, you've replaced perfect love and replace the imperfect love you're not going to have any more fear you're going to stop worrying so much all right so that's what we've been talking about these last five weeks and we're going to go this week and next week and then we'll shift into some another gear but today i'd like to give you a a, a character study of someone in the bible who is devoted to god and you judge for yourself what their life was if it was worth it for them or not you judge for yourself. And so well, we're going to, th this uh, message today is entitled Lessons from Caleb, a man who is fully devoted to God. Lessons from Caleb. I'll tell you what, if, you ha if, you ha if reading the Bible is boring to you, start doing character studies in the Bible. Read about David. Read about Ruth. Read about uh, Peter or Paul, read about Abraham, read about Moses, do a character study about their life, learn the good things they did and the bad things that they did, see what Joseph did wrong and right, and see if it's not the most exciting, interesting study that you do. So what I'm going to do is right now I'm going to pretend, um, this might conjure up a bad image, but you know I just woke up in the morning, all right, I've got my coffee beside me, I don't drink coffee, but let's pretend I do, I got my coffee right beside me, um, I'm getting my eyes kind of, you know, open, I put on my glasses, and I start my daily devotions, and I'm going to share with you my daily devotions about Caleb, it is so rich, it's so wonderful, and it's challenged me to be fully devoted to the Lord, 
wholehearted, devoted to God. It starts in Numbers 13, and we're just going to read through this, verses 1 through 33. Then we're going to jump into Numbers 14. I want us just to relax, all right? We're in no hurry. This is going to be good stuff. Listen into my devotions as I, as I read about uh, Caleb, a man wholly devoted to the Lord. Numbers 13, verse 1. The Lord says to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the Israelites. Now, that's a promise. I'm giving it to you. And it's not just a promise. It's a sovereign word. God says, I'm giving this land to you, period, end of story. All right? Now, just to put this into perspective, the Israelites had been in Egypt for over 400 years as slaves. Now, think back, 400 years, uh, you know, the 1600s. That's a long time to be slaves. All right, 400 years. They get out of Egypt through miraculous signs and wonders. They cross the Red Sea, right? And they're in the desert for just under two years in the desert. That's where they got the Ten Commandments. They get those things of stone. They had some miracles happen. They have a pillar of fire at night, a pillar of smoke guiding them, two or three million people around the desert. Year two. God says, it's time to go into the promised land. And I want you to think, what's your promised land? What would you like? What would be the wildest dreams for you, for you, for God to do for you? What would you like for God? That is some of what your promised land is. Is it possible that you could never get there in your lifetime? I'm sad to say yes. I'm sad to say yes. The Israelites came after two years. They're standing at the border of the promise for them, the land flowing with milk and honey, and listen what happens. So the Lord tells Moses in Numbers 13, 1, send some men in to explore the land of Canaan I am giving to the Israelites. God wants you to go in and, and spy on the blessings that God has for your life. He wants you to go in and explore the things that God has promised to you. Go in and daydream about them. Go in and and think about them. Go in and pretend like you're already there, all right? He sends men in. Go look and see how good this land is. He goes on He, he, he goes on and says, From each ancestral tribe, select one of its leaders. All right? This is, this is how God told Moses to do it. You got 12 tribes? Pick leaders from each of your tribes. Send them in to spy on the land and see what it looks like. And I want to ask you a question. Are you a leader? Are you a leader? Caleb was, as we'll see. Are you a leader? What is a leader? A leader stands up and does the right thing when everybody might be doing the wrong thing. All right? A leader sets the pace and says, this is the pace that we're going, and if 10 people follow me or one person follow me, it doesn't matter. I'm going in that direction. Let me tell you what. If you're a Christian, God has called you to be a spiritual leader. There's not a single exception to that. So you need to stand up to the call and say, I'm going to start being the leader that God has called me to, to be. And if you start doing that, you're a devoted Christian, a devoted follower of Jesus. People are going to follow you. They are going to follow you. Some of them won't. Some of them will spit in your face, but it doesn't matter. You're leading. You're a spiritual leader. And I'm telling you, God has, has shown this so clearly to me in the last three years. Spiritual leaders have three characteristics, and they're very basic, they're very fundamental, but they're non-negotiable. They simply are what they are. First of all, you're faithful. If you're a spiritual leader, 
you're going to be faithful. You're going to be consistent. And, and you're going to be there all the time. All the time. The doors are open. You're there. You get up in the morning and breathe. You're reading your Bible. You're faithful. You're committed. 2020 is about commitment. And I'm telling you, whatever you write on your little thing down there, your, your bookmark, it better be something that's challenging. It better not be something that you've, oh, I'm already doing that. No, do something, commit to something that you're not doing right now. Set the pace. Go a little higher. Go a little farther. Let me tell you what, I'm doing it. Why don't you do it? <laughs> Let's bind together, make a commitment to the Lord of something that we're not currently doing, and let's go to a different level. Faithfulness. Number two, if you're a spiritual leader, you are going to be available. We talked about this. You're going to be willing to serve. A service purpose. Availability means you're emotionally available. You're, you're available with your time. You're available with your money. You're, you make it, you set it all on the line for Jesus. And you get your hands dirty in people's problems. <laughs> Do you hear me? You say, I don't have time. Of course you got time. You make time for the kingdom of heaven. Absolutely you make time. But number three is you're teachable. You are a humble listener. Fat, faithful, available, teachable. That's what a spiritual leader does. And so don't deceive yourself. If you're not doing these things, don't deceive yourself into thinking you're a spiritual leader. Start doing it. Make a commitment. Go to the next level and do what God has called you to do. Every Christian is to be a spiritual leader, faithful, available, and teachable. Let's continue on. So the Lord's commandment to Moses he sent them out, to, um, out from the desert of Paran. In other words, they're coming out of the desert into the promised land. All of them were leaders in Israel, and their names were blah, 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 blah. I'm not going to even try to pronounce some of these, but I will pause on a couple of them. Notice one of these 12 men was Caleb. Oh, man, Caleb is becoming, sorry, Caleb is becoming my hero. He is, he is inspiring me to be a wholehearted believer and disciple of Jesus. He's inspiring me, all right? He was, by the way, interestingly enough, interestingly enough from the tribe of Issachar. Issachar. That's spelled I-S-S-A-C-H-A-R. And something interesting about the tribe of Issachar was this. In, in First Chronicles... You just crank it, Cole, because it's it's just going to make noise. So we'll just bear with the noise. By the way, we're buying a new sound system. Very, just hopefully install this week. So from Issachar in First Chronicles twelve thirty two, listen to this: Men from the tribe of Issachar who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. Men of Issachar, and there's two hundred chiefs. This tribe tended to have spiritual leaders. And I would love to say that this church should tend to have spiritual leaders. Men and women who know the times and they know what to do. All right? This, this embodies who Caleb was. So it goes on and lists other people. Among them, a name of someone, Hosea, son of Nun. Now, did you know that Joshua's name used to be Hosea? <laughs> God, actually Moses, through God through Moses, changed his name. And he, so he was one of these 12 leaders who went in to spy on the land. 
So we skip down here. When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, Go up through the Negev and on into the hill country. See what the land is like, whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How's the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some fruit from the land. Let me tell you what, when you're daydreaming about God's future for you, bring back some fruit. Bring back a memory of the future. That sounds kind of strange, right? Bring back a memory from the future and say, God, I want to go in this direction. I don't want to fall short of a single solitary thing you have for my life. Bring back some fruit. So they went up and explored the land from the desert of Zin as far as Rehob towards Lebo Hamath. They went up through the Negev and came to Hebron. Now, in the modern-day news, if you're hearing about, you know, the, the you know, Palestine, you're going to call it Hebron. But it's the same place, Hebron or Hebron, all right? Um, and it mentions something very important in Hebron or Hebron. There was three people's names who I can't pronounce, and they were descendants from Anak. Now, who was Anak? This becomes very important to this story and very important to who Caleb was. Anak was a giant, and he, uh, his descendants were called the Anakites, if I'm pronouncing that right. And these descendants were very tall, like taller than tall, and they were warriors. So they weren't just, you know, tall people. Have you ever seen a tall basketball player that can't seem to stand against anybody? These guys weren't like that. These guys could post up. And they were huge, I'm sure far taller than seven feet tall. They were huge and warlike people. As we see in Deuteronomy 2.10, it mentions these, these folks as being very tall. In Joshua 14.15, it talks about the greatness of the men of the Anakites. They were fighting men. They were imposing. They were scary. They were gangsters, but huge, huge gangsters. In Numbers 13.33, it refers to them as uh, coming from the Nephilim, which is referred to in Genesis 6. Nephilim, not to just be confused. Some people think that demons came down and slept with women and they had giants. That's a bunch of hogwash, all right? Simply, they, there was giants in the land. They're called Nephilim, and they were imposing scary folks, all right? And so... It's referred to in Numbers 30, uh, 13, 33. In Joshua eleven twenty two. it says, No Anlekites were left. Listen to this. This is incredibly interesting and important as well. No Anlekites were left in the Israelite territory after Israel came in and swept through. The story that we're reading here, they came through and swept through. There was not a single Anlekite left. They flushed them out to Gaza, Gath, and Ashdod, where only a few survived. Now, you, do you, I, I want you to get the importance of this statement. This is amazing. Because that's where Goliath came from in the story of David. 
he was one of most likely one of these descendants, Anlekite descendants, and we get a full-blown picture of the hugeness and warlike nature that these folks had. So a couple of hundred years later, here's Goliath, one of these descendants that got flushed out into the Philistine territory, standing before David, thought to be about nine feet tall, all right, and coming to absolutely crush Israel. What would I get from that? And to picture me, I'm just thinking as I'm sipping my coffee and thinking through this, I'm thinking, you, the giants in our lives resurface. The giants in our lives come back to us. And we got to be ready. God doesn't want you just to have one victory. He wants you to have two victories, three victories, four victories. If that cancer comes back, it's okay. God can heal you again. Don't think that your giants are done, done, done. They might pop up again, but you're going to be that much stronger the second and third time. Amen? And so Goliath, sure enough, came back. But you know what? God defeated that giant again. Praise God. So, a little tangent there, but we read on. We're still in uh, Numbers 13. When they reached the valley of Eshol, these, these, uh, these spies, 12 spies, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them along with some pomegranates and figs. So picture these two grown men. They have a pole and there's one cluster of grapes. Man, you talk about a promised land. Incredible. In Guatemala, and I've heard this firsthand, in Guatemala there's a section of the country that has experienced such incredible revival that as you walk through it and in the fields, you'll hear this whispering that's going on. And what it is is the workers out in the field are praying all day long as they're picking their crops. And there's a sense of God's presence that's so strong there. But what's happened there, and it's just as amazing, is the fruit is abnormally, vegetables and fruit are abnormally large there. Huge, huge. Uh, I think they talked about carrots and, and uh, uh, I can't remember, squash and like three and four times the size of what you'd find anywhere else in the world. God blesses things. He blesses things. And the promised land was like this. Can you imagine a cluster of grapes? Now, I, I took one little cluster from Walmart and put it in a little bowl, and I gave one of my kids one it, and we were eating grapes. Can you imagine a cluster that huge that you have to carry it on a pole? Absolutely amazing. That place was called the Valley of, of Eshkol. Uh, because a cluster of grapes the Israelites uh, cut off there. At the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. About a month and a half, they came back to Moses and Aaron, the whole Israelite community at um, Kadesh in the desert of Paran. They reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land in which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here's the proof. This is the land of promise. This is, this is what God was talking about. Here's the fruit. But the people who live there are powerful. They're giants. My wife was in the, this was before we got married. She was in an airport, and she ran across an NBA player, Patrick Ewing. He's about seven feet tall. And the first thing my wife said about him is his head was huge. 
And she shook his hand, and she said it felt like his hand wrapped around her hand three or four times. He said, just massive guy. Let me tell you, these giants were huge, and they were vicious, bloodthirsty men that controlled, interestingly enough, just a tiny little part of the, the promised land. But listen, listen to what these spies go on. They say, these people live, they're powerful. The cities are fortified and very large. We saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the, in the Negev, the Hittites and all the ites, okay? The Jebusites, the Amorites lived in the, in the hill country. They should call us the Americanites, right? But we're not. All right, the Canaanites live in that area along the Jordan. But listen then. So Caleb's sitting there his 11 cohorts, and he's probably been foreseeing this coming because he heard them for 40 days as they're spying the land, talking negative. Oh, my word, look at that giant. Oh, my goodness, look at that fortified city. Oh, my word, we're not going to be able to. He saw this coming, and he's standing there with his arms crossed. Listen to these goobers talk about how it's too hard, and it says, the Bible says, Caleb silenced the people before Moses and he said we should go up and take the land for we can certainly do it what impossibility are you facing and stop calling it impossible and say we can surely do it I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength this is not impossible for my God we can do it what is that call by the way it's called optimism that's called godly optimism. What is, what is the other side called? It's called negativity. What does the enemy do first thing every time to you? He puts a negative whisper into your ear. It's not going to work. You're going to fail. Your family's going to fall apart. It's not going to happen. Your, your health is going to fail. Your finances are going to fail. You're never going to get there. It's never going to get fixed. You're always going to be this way. That's the negativity of the enemy. It's his number one tool against you and me. But what do we say? We stand up with Caleb and we silence the enemy. How did Caleb silence the enemy? Think about it just for a second. What did he have to do to silence the enemy? He just started talking. When you have negative whispers in your mind that this is going to happen, that's, you start talking and you start speaking the word of God and two voices can't be heard at the same time. What did Jesus do when he was being tempted? He spoke because he couldn't. We say, oh, I can't hear God's voice. I never can tell God. Shut up. Stop complaining and start speaking the word of God, and you'll hear God's voice through it. Start speaking the word of God and silence the enemy. I have people that I've worked with before and even now, and I'm on a phone call, and they interrupt and one of them tends to be on a speakerphone, so he can't, when he's talking, he literally can't hear any, anything else. And so I have to get really loud with him sometimes so that he can hear me through his speakerphone and be quiet. How do, I, how do I get him to be quiet? I interrupt him rudely sometimes. The enemy deserves to be interrupted rudely. There's no, there's no uh, you know, there's no rules of engagement here. You just interrupt them, shut them up with the word of God, and you'll find that you'll start soaring with wings as eagles. But it takes a little bit of gumption. It takes a little bit of picking yourself up by the bootstraps and talking. You're not talking to yourself. You're talking to the enemy. 
I find it interesting that Jesus, too, all these, see how devotions work? You start thinking one thought, you write it down. God gives you another thought, you write that down. so important to journalize when you're reading the Word of God. Don't just pick up the Word for five minutes and, oh, I'm done. No, write some thoughts down and let your mind start flowing with a spirit and God will give you all kinds of thoughts. But Jesus rarely prayed for people. He just spoke to the disease and it left. He just spoke to the demon and it left. We need to start in, in being enforcers of the kingdom of heaven. So anyways, what is it that hands folded and finally just gets tired of it? He interrupts. What was it about Caleb that made him so confident? Because uh, you know what I notice here? Moses didn't say anything, and he was the leader. All right? Joshua didn't say anything. And Caleb, and, have you ever done this where you and, you and your friend, you get together, okay, this is our story. We're going to say this, okay? And we're not going to back down from it, all right? And then you get into your meeting, your friend doesn't say anything, and you're the one stuck, you know, holding up the fort, all right? I'm sure Caleb is looking at Joshua come on, <laughs> we talked about this, all right? Moses isn't saying anything, and we almost hold him as God sometimes. Caleb stood up in front of two or three million people, everybody's against him, and he said what needed to be said. We need to be doing the same thing. We need to say what needs to be said. Now, speak the truth in love, obviously, but say what needs to be said in your family. Say what needs to be said in your circle of friends. Say what needs to be said when you're looking yourself in the mirror and you know you're about to make a bad choice. Say what needs to be said. What made him so confident? What, what made him so bold? What made him so God positive, God optimistic. Here was a single solitary voice amongst all these people. You know, here's, here's where I got to thinking about Caleb, especially after I studied his life all the way through, at least what's mentioned in the Bible. You know what? He knew something that the others didn't know. <laughs> I, got, I started thinking, he knew something that the others didn't know. He believed something that the others didn't believe. He had one love and one love alone, and that was God. And we're going to see that. I'll prove this to you. These aren't just thoughts. I, I see this as I study his life. It was all about what God wanted and not what about, about what he wanted. And that's a big one for us. Why are we so distracted? We're constantly trying to convince God, don't you like my idea, God? Don't you think this is a good idea? Come on, let's try this out, God. No, no, that's not how God works. You put your little schemes aside and do what God wants you to do. Come to God with a blank sheet of paper and say, God, you write your instructions here and I'll follow them. This is a big pill to swallow for us. This is hard. Stop selling your ideas to God and let God tell you what you need to do. All right? It was, he always was trying to get God's attention and he could care less about man's attention. That's a big one too. We are forever trying to get someone's attention. Always trying to get someone's attention. We need to stop doing that and say, you know what, from now on, I'm just trying to get God's attention. And we're going to talk about that next Sunday a little bit more. Um, and then also, he was about making God happy instead of himself happy. <laughs> we're always trying to make ourselves happy. And that's not the point. We, we make God happy, and next Sunday you'll see what happens when God gets happy. When you, when you get him happy good things start happening in your life. It should be our primary objective. But we read on after Caleb has silenced everybody, but the men who had gone up with him said, we can't.
stronger than we are. We can't do it. Negative report. Why did Caleb sound different than these negative naysayers? Why are you so negative? Ask yourself, why are you so negative? Why are you so fearful? What makes you different from Caleb? Think about it. I've asked myself this question all week long. What, why do I end up negative and why do I end up fearful? I want to be bold, confident, positive in the Lord. All right? What, you, you know, am I going to let a giant keep me out of my blessings from God? Am I going to do it? Are you going to do it? Are you going to blow past that giant and get what God has promised you? It's time. I'm telling you, it's time to lay aside the loves of this world and start loving God. You'll get into your promised land and you will thank your lucky stars you did. Go for it. Go for it. Praise God. It's no longer about mediocrity, man. I want to go. I, I need to burst past these giants that constantly are, are trying to intimidate me. But these Israelites, these spies, they, they spread a bad report about the land they had explored. And um, they did this because they couldn't stand up against Caleb. And that's what happens. When you stand up against something sometimes or someone, they will go and they'll start spreading rumors all over the place. Don't worry about it. You, did, you took your stand. You did what you were supposed to do. Let God take care of the rest. They said, the land we explored devours those who live in it. They didn't know that. That was something they conjured up in their mind out of fear. All right. All the people we saw were great size. That's baloney. Only a small subsection of the population was large. All right. We saw Nephilim, these giants, descendants of Anak. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. They didn't know what these people thought of them. We seemed like grasshoppers in their sight. You know what? Stop looking at yourself. Stop looking at your limitations. Stop thinking of what's limiting you and start looking at the limitless God. Change your perspective. When you're negative, fearful, and mediocre, you know what? That just spreads to everybody. Look what happened. These 11, no, 10 men affected 2 million people. I tell you, we, we need to zip our mouths. If we can't say anything good, let's just keep our mouths shut. Because that negativity, that fear, that mediocrity just spreads all over the place. The furthermore, these giants, as I've mentioned, they were localized in one small geographical area. And we have no reason or cause for them not to go in and take what God had given them. This bad report wasn't a balanced report. I tell you what, if you watch the news, be careful what you listen to. Because you might be listening and you probably are listening to a very one-sided negative news report that's not giving you the whole report. We've got to be really careful with that. That land they acknowledged was a promised land, but they were too afraid to go in and get it. Another thought there I want to share with you that I thought, your picture again, I'm writing in my journal, I'm thinking through this. When God calls you to something, it's always bigger than you. Anything God wants you to do is going to be bigger than you because you're going to have to trust God to get it done. He's never going to give you something that's your size or smaller than you. Whatever he gives you is going to be huger than you. It's going to require you to trust him, and this was no exception. All right, so let's jump over to Numbers 14, verses 1 through 24. 
I'll start reading there. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices. They'd heard this bad report. Two million, three million people raised their voices, and they wept out loud. They started howling. Have you ever just howled? God, this is, you know, my life is over. I'm, you know, maybe, I don't know what, what your concerns are. We all have them, and they're important. I'm not demeaning them. But we start wailing before the Lord, thinking it's never going to work out. All the Israelites grumbled. Listen to this. They wept out loud. They grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt. And I want to liken the Egypt to something. The worst drug trip you've ever had, all right? The worst, you're, you're, you're a drug addict, and the worst drug thing that you've ever had, experience you've ever had, they're saying, I wish I would have died in that. Idiots. <laughs> Stupid. You really, really wish you would have died back then. Of course they didn't. They didn't know what they were saying. They said, or in this wilderness right here where we have nothing. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only for us to fall by the sword? That's what negativity does. It makes you think that God's against you. He's not against you. You want good things. He wants better things for you. All right? Our wives and our children will be taken as plunder. They were, they were lying to themselves. Wouldn't it be better if we just went back to Egypt and they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. And again, they were talking about going back to slavery where the Egyptians were literally killing their kids as they were being born. They, they, they were wanting to go back to the place where they had to scoop all the straw and the mud in the land to go create bricks and do that for the rest of their lives until their backs were broken and they were helpless and hopeless. That's where they wanted to go back. But think about it. How many times when, when something faces us, we want to go back to our old habits? Think about it. How many of us want to go back? We're foolish. We're foolish. We don't want to go back. We want to go forward, and we want to go into what God has promised. If we have a little hump we've got to go over, let's go over the hump. If we've got to scale a wall, let's scale a wall. If we've got to go break down a mountain, let's go break down a mountain. But let's go forward, not backwards. Amen? That's what God is calling his children to do. Be spiritually aggressive. But you know what? So these men, they were unlike Caleb, and I started comparing and contrasting Caleb and all these, these poor folks. But you know what their main problem is? They, they just had a mixed love. Caleb was wholehearted with God. All these other folks, they had a mixed love. They had, I love this, and I love that, and I love the imperfect loves, like what we talked about last week. Imperfect loves. It's time for us to get our, a pure heart and throw the love for success out the window, throw the love for uh, whatever it is out the window, pitch it out the window, and say, I want to love God and God alone. I'm done with a mixed bag of tricks with God. I want a pure heart, pure heart towards him. But that was their biggest problem. They had one foot in the world and one foot in heaven, and that doesn't work for very long. The Bible says if, you, if you're lukewarm to God, in other words, you can't make up your mind, he's going to spew you out of his mouth. And you say, that doesn't sound very merciful. God wants you to be on one side of the fence or the other. Make up your mind who you're going to serve. And then go for it wholeheartedly the rest of your life, come hell or high water. But look at these people. They were weeping and mourning 
and they were right on the threshold of getting their wildest dreams fulfilled. So often we do that. We're on our hands and knees thinking that the, the world's caving in on us, and God, we're this close to victory, this close. We've got to stop looking at the circumstances and looking at God because he has victory in his hand for us. He holds victory in store for the upright, the Bible says. You'll complain about everything if you have this mixed love for the world. This is what I want, God. Give me what I want. You know, you don't answer prayers, God. No, it's because you're not wanting what God wants. (laughs) Set what you want aside and start wanting what God wants. Uh, You think you're better off. You think you were better off before you knew God. Now, surely none of us would fall into that. Surely we wouldn't think that. We blame God. We're tempted to go back to slavery or relapse, as we might call it. These were not the attitudes that Caleb had, though. So what Moses and Aaron, now Aaron was Moses' brother, the high priest. They fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Because here they're thinking, we're right here. Here's the promised land. Please don't pull us back into the desert. They come running in. They fall face down. Joshua and Caleb also... uh, tore their clothes and said to the entire assembly, the land we pass through is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey. He'll give it to us. Only don't rebel. There's a lot more rebellion in us than we give ourselves credit for. I'm going to do whatever I'm going to do, God. I'm sorry. I've given you 90%. I'm still holding this 10% for myself or I, you know, whatever it is. Don't rebel against God. Do what he tells you to do and do it joyfully, willingly. All right? Don't rebel um, and do not be afraid of the, Moses is saying this, don't be afraid of the people in this land. Um, Their protection is gone and the Lord is with us. Kind of realize these giants are not nearly as strong as we think they are because the Lord has stripped their armor from them and made them a huge target for us to just knock out, knock them down. So here's what Caleb said. He saw that the Lord was leading them into the land. Nobody else saw that, but he did. He recognized that it was the promised land. It was, in fact, the place where they were supposed to go. He saw um, that what they, the other folks were doing was, in fact, rebelling against God. Even the smallest amount of rebellion against God, the Bible said, is like, the sin of witchcraft. Go ahead and start being a Satanist. Go worship Satan. It's the same thing. All right? The sin of witchcraft. Fear. He, Caleb saw this. Fear drove their decisions. And that's one of our biggest pitfalls as human beings. We let fear drive our decisions. And we can't afford to do that. Don't let fear drive your decisions. Do what you need to do, even if it's scary. All right? Fear will drive you in the wrong direction every single time. He saw that the enemy's protection was gone, and he knew that the Lord was with them. But the whole assembly talked of stoning them. <laughs> and remember this, anytime you do something good, no good deed will go unpunished. All right? If you do good things and expect a pat on the back from, from a human being, forget it. Get your pats on the back from God. All right? Because if you're, if you're expecting accolades from people, uh, eventually they'll, they'll let you down. If sooner, if sooner, not later. So the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting, and the Lord said to Moses, uh, How long will these people treat me with contempt? 
I won't read everything here because we don't have enough time, but it's, it's in our reading for this week. Um, but I love this part. God's saying, I'm going to destroy these people. They are aggravated so bad. And Moses intercedes, and Moses says this, God forgive them. God forgive them. And God's immediate response is, I have forgiven them as you have asked. So when you're praying for somebody and you don't know how to pray for them, say, God, forgive them, and God's going to forgive them. God's going to forgive them. I love this. In Acts 5.31, it said, God exalted him, um, Jesus, uh, to his own right hand as prince and savior that Jesus might lead might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. When you pray for God to forgive somebody, God reaches out there and brings them to a place of repentance and forgiveness. Isn't that amazing? Powerful way to pray. Just a, just a side note. All right. Um, I want to make sure that I don't lose out on the rest of this because I definitely want to finish today. So about five more minutes. But I want you to look carefully at Caleb. And I want us to look carefully at Caleb. And I'm trying to see if I've got my notes turned around. I think this is in Joshua 14.6. Joshua 14.6. And here's what we find out about Caleb. Um, let me skip down here to verse 7. Caleb is looking. He's 85 years old now. He's looking back at that point in time when he stood up in front of everybody. Because what happened is God sent these Israelites back out for 38 years into the desert. They didn't want to go in. He said, all right, don't go in. 38 years back out in the desert, going around. And their children then were the ones that finally took the promised land. And so children come in, and only Caleb and Joshua were the only ones that came in with a second generation of folks. And so in Joshua 14, 6, uh, verse 7 actually Caleb is saying, I was 40 years old when the Moses, a servant of the Lord, sent me to Kadesh Barnea to explore the land with those other 11 spies. I brought them back a report according to my convictions. According to my convictions. And we got to stick by our convictions, even if we don't feel, you know, if, even if it doesn't feel good. Um, but my fellow Israelites who went out with me made the hearts of people melt with fear. I, however, followed the, the Lord my God wholeheartedly. There it is. We're talking about commitment. And I want to ask you, are you following the Lord wholeheartedly? That's the ticket. That's the way you can be confident. That's the way you can be fearless, bold, sure of yourself and God in yourself. When you're wholeheartedly towards God, Stop loving the things that you love and love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. All right. So in verse 9 of Joshua 14, it says, So on that day Moses swore to me, The land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. <laughs> he says, You've kept, The Lord has kept me alive these 45 years. He says in verse 11, I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out when I was 40 years old. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. I bet Maggie's saying the same thing. She's about 85. You know what? I'm still as vigorous as I was. That's why I go to the YMCA three or four times a week. That's why I go pick people up for church. That's why I do this. That. You know what? If you want longevity in your life, 
give your heart to God. Give your heart to God, and you'll look back on your life and see the things that you were able to accomplish with God's help. He says, I'm just as vigorous to go out into battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord has promised me that day. You yourself heard that the Amalekites were there and their cities were large and fortified, but the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. All right, 85 years old, I'm going to go into battle. Let me tell you what, you're 85 years old, 75, 45, 13. You can go and take that hill for God. Take what God has given you. Believe that it's yours, man, and then go fight for it, spiritually speaking. All right, so just kind of ending here, and I can't, I don't know exactly what verse this is in, uh, but it's still in, in uh, Joshua 14. It says, But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to, and his descendants will inherit it. So what is wholehearted? Two, just two more things, I'll tell you. Two more things. Wholehearted means that you pay attention to God, and you can pay attention to God. If you can't focus on God for five minutes in prayer, or throughout the day, or when you wake up in the morning, you've got an idol that you love, and you need to find it with God's help, and quit loving it. Repent of it. All right? Wholehearted means you can pay attention to God. It means you can trust God. It means that your goal is to make God happy. It means that you want to capture his attention and you could care less about other people's attention. You just care about your God's attention. And you seek your blessings from God instead of getting blessings from other people. That's a big one. Do you want your blessings from people or do you want your blessings from God? So God gave, uh, what's his, it gave Caleb longevity, strength, a victorious spirit, and trusting action. Do you hear me? When you follow God, you're not going to be standing around for very long. <laughs> you're going to be taking action on some course that God gives you. And I'll end with this. Joshua 15, verse 14. It says, from Hebron, or Hebron, Caleb drove out the three Anakites, and it names their names. He drove them out, <laughs> and he inherited their spot of land. The giants that are possessing the things that you want, you can drive them out and take possession of what's yours. And I'm going to give you some examples, just end up here. Your addiction that those giants are possessing or abuse that you've gone through becomes your testimony. Becomes your testimony. You can coach people on their finances because you used to be out of control financially, maybe. There's another example. You're out of control financially. Someday God wants you to help other people know how to deal with their finances better. You go and take possession and inherit that for yourself. You may have been told that you're disabled, but now you stand out as the most productive worker in your place of employment. Amen? You may have gone through several divorces, but you can help others avoid breaking up their families. All right? You can, you can inherit the very thing that your giants are owning right now. You may struggle with mental illness, but you will guide those who are depressed and suicidal someday into the light of freedom. All right? So whatever giants are holding on to what you have, it's God wants you to go take that away from them, and you're going to inherit it as a result and be a blessing to other people as a result. Let's pray.